Section 5 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 1, edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Astronomy. Chapter 4. The Evolution of Astronomical Instruments and Methods, Celestial Photography. After the spectroscope, photography has been the most useful tool of the astronomer, and to its aid must be credited some of the most important work of the latter half of the nineteenth century. For the development of celestial photography, as outlined in the present chapter, an interesting paper by Professor E. E. Barnard supplies in large part the material. According to Professor Barnard, the application of photography to astronomy may be said to date from the very first announcement of Daguerre's wonderful discovery of the production of a permanent image by the effect of light upon silver salts. The celebrated French astronomer, Arago, quickly foresaw its great possibilities, especially in the faithful delineation of the surface features of the sun and the moon, for these two objects at least were bright enough to register themselves with the sluggish materials then in use. It was of course obvious to astronomers and physicists that the formation of an image on a sensitized plate was in no way different from that produced at its focus by the telescope lens, and that the image of a celestial body would be produced as well as any other. It was from America that the first practical work came, and, within less than one year from the announcement of Daguerre's discovery, in March 1840, Dr. John W. Draper of New York City succeeded in getting pictures of the moon which, though not very good, foreshadowed the possibilities of lunar photography. Five years later, at the Harvard College Observatory, Bond, with the aid of Messrs. Whipple and Black of Boston, succeeded in obtaining still better pictures of the moon with the 15-inch refractor. These pictures on daguerreotype plates aroused great interest, especially in England. However, the difficulties encountered led to failures generally, except in the case of De La Rue, Dancer, and one or two others. In 1858, De La Rue, using a 13-inch metal speculum, reflecting telescope, without clockwork, and guiding it by following a lunar crater seen through a plate, made the most important of the early efforts at lunar photography. His photographs were the best until those made in America, in 1860, by Dr. Henry Draper, son of the illustrious John W. Draper. He secured excellent photographs of the moon, superior to any previously made, and capable of considerable enlargement. These pictures were the best taken until Lewis M. Rutherford began his remarkable work about 1865. His admirable photographs of the moon were made with a refractor of 11-inch aperture, which, constructed under his immediate supervision, was the first telescope corrected especially for the photographic rays. The completion of the Lick Observatory in 1888 marked another decided advance in astronomical photography, especially of the moon. The great focal length of this magnificent instrument gave an unenlarged image of the moon about six inches in diameter, which in itself was a great advantage. Good results were also secured with the Yerkes refractor. Admirable lunar photographs have been made by Messrs. Loewy and Prusseau, with the equatorial Coudet at Paris, and have shown the usefulness of this singular instrument for such work. The first picture of the sun seems to have been made on a daguerreotype plate by Fizeau and Foucault 
in 1845, says Professor Bernard. During the total eclipse of the sun on July 28, 1851, a daguerreotype was secured with the Königsberg heliometer, 2.4 inches in diameter and 2 feet focus, by Dr. Busch, which appears to have been the first photographic representation of the corona. It showed considerable detail quite close to the moon. But in the early eclipses photographic work seems to have been devoted mainly to representations of the solar prominences, which at that time were as rarely seen as the corona itself. During the eclipse of 1869, however, Professor Himes secured a photograph which showed the brighter structure of the corona. Similar pictures were also obtained during the same eclipse by Mr. Whipple of Boston. The corona was also slightly shown on pictures made as early as 1860 by M. Surratt. None of them, however, showed more than slight traces of the corona, extending only for a few minutes of arc from the moon's limb. Nearly all the pictures seem to have been taken with an enlarging lens, which was doubtless used to get the prominences on a larger scale. The first really successful photographs of the corona were obtained at the eclipse of December 22, 1870, when it was shown on the plate to a distance of about half a degree from the moon's limb. This picture, made by Mr. Brothers at Syracuse, Sicily, showed a considerable amount of rich detail in the coronal structure. The same can also be said of the photographs of this eclipse taken by Colonel Tennant and Lord Lindsay's party. These seem to have been the first pictures that really showed the great value of photography for coronal delineation. The eclipse of 1871 was still more successfully photographed, and an excellent representation of the corona, full of beautiful detail, was secured. In 1878, extensive preparations were made to observe the eclipse of July 29 of that year. Photography was to play an important part, though astronomers did not rely very strongly upon it, for it appears that all were prepared to make the customary drawings of the corona. Unfortunately, each person faithfully carried out that purpose. A most suggestive illustration of the uncertainty of such work is found in the large collection of drawings published in a volume issued by the United States government relating to the eclipse of 1878. An examination of these forty or fifty pictures shows that scarcely any of them would be supposed to represent the same object, and none of them at all closely resembled the photographs. The method of freehand drawing of the corona, made under the attending conditions of a total eclipse, received its death-blow at that time for it showed the utter inability of the average astronomer to sketch or draw what he really saw under such circumstances. In the eclipses of 1882, 1886, and 1889, photography played a part of increasing importance in the observations. In the latter year, there were a large number of amateur photographers who took advantage of the eclipse to make many photographs which, in a number of cases, were taken in a systematic and scientific manner. At the Lick Observatory, a beginning was made in eclipse photography with an extemporized apparatus, and successful exposures were made. During the eclipse of 1896, important work was done in photographing the flash spectrum, or the momentary reversal of the Fraunhofer lines, which occurs when the edge of the sun disappears behind the moon, or reappears from it, and for an instant exposes the reversing layer, which was first seen by Professor Young at the eclipse of 1870. This photograph was made by a young Englishman, William Shackleton, who, on exposing a plate at the critical instant of the reversal of the lines, caught for the first time the fugitive bright lines, which are visible for only about a minute. This gave a permanent visible record of the phenomenon, 
which removes it from the class of hasty visual observations whose results depend upon the memory of the observer. The photographing of such a minute point of light as a star is quite different from that of a luminous or brilliant body like the sun or moon, yet it was early essayed, and, from the first photograph of a star by Bond in 1850 to the present time, stellar photography has gradually risen to a prominence as remarkable as it is important. Indeed, it is now quite indispensable. The principal reason for the real increase of importance in this work, however, was the successful introduction of the very rapid dry plate. The wet or collodion process, which astronomers soon pushed to its limits, was poorly adapted to the photography of the stars, and of no use whatever for comets and nebulae. Notwithstanding the inherent difficulties of the wet plate, the photographs of the star clusters, etc., of the southern skies, obtained under the direction of Gould, with an eleven-inch photographic reflector by the wet process, were of the highest value, and showed upon measurement a striking agreement in accuracy with visual work. The same can be said of Rutherford's photographs of the Pleiades, Praesepi, etc., which were made prior to Dr. Gould's, and which were the first photographs of this kind. As early as 1857, Bond had shown, by measurement of a series of photographs of the double star Mizar, that the highest confidence could be placed in measures of star plates. This was subsequently fully verified by Gill, Elkin, and others. As regards absolute accuracy, Dr. Elkin showed in 1889 that measures of a photograph of the Pleiades taken by Mr. Burnham with the great telescope at Mount Hamilton had equal value with the heliometer measures of the same stars. By 1881 or 1882, however, dry or gelatin emulsion plates were beginning to be used with every promise of their ultimate value, as was shown by the photographs of the comet of 1881, which were made by Draper and Janssen. These were the first photographs ever made of a comet. Efforts had been made to secure pictures of Donati's comet in 1858, but without success. It was quite obvious that as soon as satisfactory photographs of stars were secured, some earnest effort would be made to make use of them in a quantitative and systematic way. Previously, for the production of star maps and catalogues, elaborate series of observations were made at the various observatories, and the positions of the stars computed and incorporated in large volumes. At the Royal Observatory at the Cape of Good Hope, Sir David Gill, in 1882, after making some pictures with a large camera of the comet of that year, found that not only did the plates show the stars visible to the naked eye, but a number as small as the ninth or tenth magnitude. Accordingly, it occurred to him that such photographs furnished a novel and excellent method of cataloging the stars and mapping the heavens, as it was necessary only to measure on the glass negatives the position of the various stars and refer them to certain well-known points of reference. From 1887 to 1891, the entire southern heavens, from 18 degrees south declination to the celestial pole, were duly photographed. The half-million stars found on the negatives were then measured, and the magnitude of each determined by Professor J. C. Captain at the University of Groningen, Holland. Thus, in 1899, was finished the Cape Photographic Durchmusterung, which is published in three quarto volumes, and contains the magnitude and approximate position of every star photographed, the magnitude of the stars on each plate being reduced to a visual scale. At the time when Sir David Gill began his photographic work, Dr. Bernard states, 
the henry brothers of paris were making a chart of the stars along the elliptic in their search for planetoids they had at this time reached the region of the milky way and the marvellous wealth of stars they encountered on entering the boundaries of that vast zone completely discouraged them from carrying their charts through the rich region traversed by the elliptic while hesitating as to the advisability of continuing their work the photographs of the great comet came to their notice they were struck with the great number of stars shown on these pictures together with the image of the comet the idea at once occurred to them that they could use this wonderful process to make their charts they began at once the construction with their own hands of a suitable photographic telescope of thirteen and a half inches diameter for the photography of the stars this instrument produced exquisite star pictures which were marvels of definition as well as photographs of the nebulae of saturn and jupiter the moon etc it was the success of the henry brothers work that led to the international astrophotographic congress which met at paris in eighteen eighty six this congress undertook the organization of an international commission engaged in the preparation of a photographic chart and catalogue of the heavens and the work since that time has been actively in progress uniform instruments of the same aperture and focal length are used at the eighteen observatories participating in this work and two sets of plates are being made one to include all the stars that are capable of being photographed and the other one those of the eleventh magnitude with this photographic map astronomers anywhere can compile their own catalogues and portions of such catalogues by various national observatories have already been issued the method of preparing the chart consists in photographing the whole sky upon glass plates about eight inches square each observatory has had assigned to it definitely its part of the sky and about eleven thousand plates of the size specified will be required to complete the task each plate of course carries one or more well-determined catalogue stars whose position is known with accuracy so that from such points of reference it is possible to determine exactly the position of any other star on the plate the photographic plate not only did away with the necessity of making the star charts by eye and hand so essential to facilitate the discovery of planetoids but it also did away with the necessity of the charts themselves for that purpose the little planet which is moving among the stars now registers its own discovery by leaving a short trail its path during the exposure on the photographic plate the first of these photographic discoveries of planetoids was made by dr max wolf in eighteen ninety two and his observatory at heidelberg subsequently became a headquarters for discoveries of this kind planetoids are now found wholesale in this manner by photography in the early days of photography nebulae were considered the most unpromising subject for the photographic plate to deal with most of these objects appeared so faint that but little encouragement in the direction was offered the celestial photographer one of the brightest and most promising of the nebulae is that in the sword of orion and this was naturally one of the first of these objects to receive photographic attention in september eighteen eighty dr henry draper began photographing nebulae with this object and succeeded with fifty-one minutes exposure in getting a good picture of the brighter portions on dry plates this was the first nebulae photograph it was followed by other photographs one of which showed stars down to the fourteen point seven magnitude which were visually beyond the reach of the same telescope these pictures marked a new era in the study of nebulae when the results were communicated to the french academy by dr draper jansen took up the work with a reflecting telescope having a silver-on-glass mirror of very short focus 
constructed in 1870 for the total solar eclipse of 1871. With this, Janssen found it easy to photograph the brightest parts of a nebula with comparatively short exposures. Unfortunately for science, the death of Dr. Draper in 1882 put a stop in America to the work he had inaugurated, but it was at once taken up in England by Common, who, with a three-foot reflector, attained rapid and immediate success. His photographs of the great nebula of Orion are still classic. They were a great advance over the work of Draper, for the reflector was not only a larger telescope, but was also better adapted for photographic purposes, and especially for photographing nebulae. In fact, as we shall see in a later chapter on nebulae, much of the progress in their study has been due to photography. The photography of nebulae was carried on with remarkable success at Lick Observatory during the incumbency of Professor James E. Keeler as director. Using the Crossley Reflecting Telescope, presented to the observatory by Dr. Common, he made a photographic study of nebulae and reached the conclusion that there are at least 120,000 of the spiral type within the range of this instrument. Professor Perrine, who succeeded to this work on the death of Professor Keeler, believes that half a million is nearer the figure, and that with more sensitive photographic plates and longer exposures the number of spirals would exceed a million. Not only stellar motion, but stellar distances can be measured by photography. Professor Pritchard, at Oxford, has used the sensitive plate to sound the celestial depths. His first experiments were undertaken with the star 61 Cygni, and by measuring 200 negatives which had been made in 1886, he derived for that star a parallax of 0 0.438 seconds, which was in satisfactory agreement with Ball's value of 0 0.468 seconds. This work was subjected to detailed scrutiny, and the Astronomer Royal was convinced that it was more accurate than that of Bessel's results obtained with a heliometer. This was the beginning of the method of measuring a parallax from photographic plates. Professor Kaptein showed in 1889 that from such plates, exposed at desired intervals, parallaxes could be derived wholesale. He applied his system in 1900 to a group of 248 stars with encouraging success. In fact, it was suggested that a photographic parallax, Dirk Musterung, should be undertaken after the completion of the astrographical chart of the heavens. When used in connection with the spectroscope, the photographic plate has a field singularly suited to display its possibilities. Here it deals not alone with what can be seen, but it enters into regions where the eye takes no cognizance of things. For, though it is partly blind to the light which affects the eye, it can readily penetrate the regions where man, in turn, is blind. By special treatment of the plate, photography registers those rays invisible to the eye and permits their accurate measurement. The spectrograph, or combination of photographic apparatus with spectroscope, must be so arranged as to show with distinctness the greatest number of lines, the individual lines being separated. Consequently, there are various types of spectrograph, depending upon the purpose for which they are to be employed. One of the combinations of the spectroscope with the photographic apparatus is found in Professor Hale's spectroheliograph, which consists of a spectroscope across whose slit the solar image moves at a uniform speed. Instead of the eyepiece, there is a second slit which permits light from only a single line to pass and fall upon the moving photographic plate, 
so that an image of the sun or a sunspot in light of a single wavelength can be made to fall upon the plate and thus be recorded the general effect of photography in astronomy may be summarized in the brief statement that it has removed the astronomer from the eyepiece of the telescope and has substituted the more sensitive photographic plate with its permanent record hence it is that the present-day student of astrophysics does not correspond with the traditional idea of the astronomer says professor hale his work at the telescope is largely confined to such tasks as keeping a star at the precise intersection of two crosshairs or in the narrow slit of a spectrograph in order that stars and nebulae or their spectra may be sharply recorded upon the photographic plate his most interesting work is done and most of his discoveries are made when the plates have been developed and are subjected to long study under the microscope end of section five